So I don't know about all of you, but if you know me a little bit, you probably know that I hate wasting time. I hate waiting in traffic. I hate having to do things manually, like if I can, having to cut one sheet of paper at a time, when I can put 10 in a stack and whack them all at once, that's what I'm going to do. That's why your bulletins right now are a half page instead of a full page folded, because I thought, this takes too much time. Uh, I hate assembling something from the big box store, and then you get to the very last piece, and you realize that one of the early steps you did backwards, and you have to take that whole stupid thing apart to do it again. And the same feeling I have of wasting time crosses over me when I'm driving and I see a route from point A to point B, and it tends to do a loop. And I look at that and I say, why would I drive all those extra miles when I can just find a shortcut. There's got to be a way that gets me from A to B that's a lot easier than what this map is telling me. And one time, this concept of mine got me into a bit of a pickle. So you see, I've been doing youth for like 10 years now, and I was up at a church in West Des Moines, which is closer to Ledges State Park, and it was a July afternoon. I said, hey guys, we're going up to Ledges State Park. It's going to be awesome. I'd forgotten that the derecho had just come through like a week earlier. The derecho changed the park a little bit. I hadn't thought that through. So we get to the parking lot at Ledges, and there's a big road close thing to get down to follow the road to get to the river where I wanted to swim with the kids because of all the trees. Up at the top, and I looked at the map, and we could follow the road to the river, but I'm like, that looks like such a waste of time. There's a little creek. If we just follow this little creek, it just takes us right there. This is going to be no problem. So I had like 15 kids, and we embarked on what became the muddiest and the murkiest hike I have ever gone on. At one point, a girl literally stepped her leg into mud to her knee. She could not remove her leg, and two of us had to grab her by the thigh and pull it out of the mug, mud without her shoe. I tried reaching my arm into the leg hole to pull the shoe out, but it was gone. And she had to hike the rest of the way with one shoe and one bare foot. <clears throat> As you can imagine, this hike was a bit of a miss, and the kids were not very happy with me at all. But I was a savvy youth pastor, veteran, and I knew how to win their allegiance again. So we ended the night at Sonic. <laughs> My treat. <laughs> so it's a little bit, sometimes we think, you know, A to B, why would I follow that path? I can get there my own way. I can find a better way. I can find a shortcut. I tell you this. Many of you can relate. We all know God tells us how to live our lives. <clears throat> he says, do this and do this. And if you do these things, then I want to bless you. I want to provide for you. I'm going to care for you and love you. And I'll lead you and I'll guide you by my spirit. But sometimes God's timing for us just seems to take way too long. And it seems to go in many twists and turns. And we're like, okay, God, but I want this for myself now. I don't want to wait to get married. I want to find my person now. My biological clock is ticking. Let's make this happen now, God. 
uh, whatever it is. I need a job this moment. So even though I know this isn't a great job offer, I'm going to take it now. I'm not asking what you have for me. I'm going to make these things happen on my own accord. And the problem is, when we do these things on our own, oftentimes we find ourselves just like I did in a muddy and murky mess. We think that we're finding all these better ways to get our life the way that we want it. But often it leaves us exhausted and missing a shoe. And so today we're going to continue our series on flawed heroes and we're going to look at Abraham. And Abraham is called the father of God's special nation, the Israelites, who, just like all of us, once tried to help God create his own path forward. He didn't want to wait for God. He thought, God, I I think you need some help, so I'm going to help you out in this regard. So if you're not familiar with the story of Abraham, he first shows up on the scene pretty early in the Bible in Genesis chapter 12. So if you want to turn there right now, we're going to be looking at a couple of passages in Genesis 12, 15, 16, and 17. Um, But what we have to understand is Abraham just kind of shows up out of nowhere. In chapter 11, there's a family tree, and it tells us the lineage of how we get from Adam to Abram, as he's called at this point. He's not called Abraham as his birth name. He's just called Abram. But then just kind of abruptly, we begin reading in chapter 12, verse 1. There's nothing of his goodness that we would show us why God ever favored him or why God ever chose him for the promises that God was going to give him. It was completely by God's grace and unearned merit that all of a sudden Abraham is the guy that God is going to pour out the promises on. So let's look at this passage here. It just kind of shows up out of nowhere in Genesis chapter 12. We jump in. It says, The Lord said, had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Get up, pack your stuff, and move. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, And Lot went with him, that was his nephew. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. So Abram is this man who God chooses to be the first of his special people. He's the father of all the Israelites. Those people whom the entire rest of our Bible essentially tells us of their relationship with God and their history. Abram is more important, essentially, to the Jewish people than Abraham Lincoln or George Washington is to us as Americans. He is the key figure in their entire heritage. But there's a bit of a problem for Abram here. While God promises that he's going to be made into a great nation, we also read about his age. He's 70 five years old. And from other verses, we find out his wife is 10 years younger than him. So Sarah, Sarah, as she's called here, her name gets changed too, was 65 years old. Essentially, their window to have children had closed. 
Yet it appears that Abram trusted God because in verse 4 it says he went. He left the land of his father and he got up and he followed after the land that God had called him to go to. And then if you flip through chapters 13 and 14, you can read about how Abram and Lot have some, they leave with their families and they travel to the land that God intended for Abram's descendants to end up in. And over several years, they have a few adventures, several massive missteps, but ultimately they land in the land of Canaan, the land that God had promised would be for the Israelites forever. And at this point in Abram's story, he's probably around the age of 80 years old or so, and God shows up to him again in chapter 15. So let's turn there to chapter 15 right now. Verse 1 through 6 we're going to read. It says, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said to him, uh, and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, Your so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. So here we see the doubt beginning to creep into Abram's thinking. He's done his part. He's left his home country, and he, he traveled out to where God was leading him. But it's clear that he's now wondering what good any of this is going to do since his servant is going to be his, his heir. His servant is going to be the one who inherits the land that God's given him and all possessions. But God doesn't scold. Or, and what we see, though, is Abram actually starting to point a little bit of blame to God. We talked about blame last week with Adam. Abram is not without fault. I love, we hear it as he says, you have given me no children. Whose fault is it that he has no children? God's fault is where that finger of blame is getting pointed there. But God doesn't scold him for his doubt here. Instead, God reiterates his promise. This time he tells Abram about the vast number of descendants he'll have. He says, go outside, look at the stars, You've all seen the stars on a, uh, a night where there's no moon, there's no clouds. You're out somewhere and far from the city lights. It's incredible how many stars are in the sky. I can only imagine how many Abram saw when he looked up. And God was saying, this uncountable quantity, that's how many are going to be yours. This is how great your family, your descendants are going to be. And again we see that Abram believed the Lord. And as a result, God credited it to him as righteousness. So one of the key attributes we keep seeing in Abram's life is his belief 
in what God is telling him, even when things seem far-fetched, like having a child at 80 years old. Unfortunately, Abram and Sarai's trust in God does not prevail. And five more years pass. And so by the time we get to Genesis chapter 16, Abram is now 85 years old with a 75-year-old wife. And it appears that God is never actually going to fulfill this promise. So Sarai decides that perhaps they need to be more proactive in figuring out how to fulfill this promise that God had made. So let's look at Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. If God's not going to do it, let's figure out our own way. We'll make a way from point A to point B ourselves. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai had said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. If this was your first time hearing this story, you would probably feel like this isn't exactly what God had in mind when he gave Abram the promise that I will make you the father of a great nation. This probably wasn't the plan. Go sleep with your wife's Egyptian servant. It doesn't sound like what God had in mind at all. And yet, this is how they felt like they need to do it. Like, okay, God, timeline isn't Ten years have passed. The ship has sailed. Sarai's not having any kids. So we're going to figure this out for you. We're going to find a way. Essentially what we see is their trust in God had completely stopped. And they decided it was time to take matters into their own hands. And guess what? It became a muddy, murky mess. If you keep reading through chapter 16, you see that Hagar gives birth to this child named Ishmael. And Sarai is incredible, incredibly jealous of Hagar, and they have a lot of conflict in their relationship. So much, Hagar decides she's going to leave with her child, and she goes out into the wilderness basically to just die. And it's in that moment that God actually tells her, hey, guess what? Your child that you're raising is going to be a wild donkey of a man. And he's going to be in constant conflict with his brothers. Now, if you don't know everything there is to know about world history and world religions, Ishmael is believed to be the father of the Arabs. Ishmael is believed to be the lineage by the people of, who believe in Islam trace their faith back to Abraham. So, Ishmael and the Arabs, yes, they have been in constant conflict with the Jewish people through millennia. That was what God said and was recorded in Genesis chapter 16, and that's what we see still playing out today in the West Bank, just in the news last week, massive airstrikes. So, Michelle and I made a shortcut ourselves once in life, very much like this. 
we, we had a plan. We thought that God wanted us, you know, to raise foster kids and adopted kids. And we had two boys that we'd adopted. But we wanted to have one more because three sounded good. But we were really sick of fostering. Because when you foster, they have visits with parents and you've got the court system. And so we thought, you know what, let's just child who's all his parental rights terminated so we can just adopt him and cut through all just junk and raise him up and help him be an independent young man and so we found a 17 year old boy named Billy and we thought how perfect we already confuse a lot of people with our two adopted sons Wilson and William let's add a Billy with William and just watch their heads explode okay so we, he was living in a group home, and we said, yeah, we want to take him into our home. We want to see him through the next teach him how to be independent because he'd been in a group home, and set him up for success. It became a muddy, murky journey. Within seven weeks, he had a probation officer. He'd been suspended from school. Found out he made out with two girls in the first three days of school. I got a call from a girl in my youth group who said he'd sexually assaulted one of her friends in a car in the parking lot of the school in seven weeks. I once, he'd done something on the tablet, and I said, give me the tablet, you can't do that. And he instantly stormed out the door, and I didn't see him until the next morning. There was no way for us to parent him. He wasn't ready to live in, an, in a family home at this time. And so what happened, Michelle and I, we wanted to raise up a kid. We had good intentions, but we didn't have a lot of prayer on this situation. We were just irritated with our foster care journey, and we were trying to make something happen. Yet, it's kind of funny when you know where our story is today and what God has done in fulfilling ultimately this desire that he put inside of us to raise up young men. And to see them through that they can be independent, take care of themselves, and be fathers and husbands. But in our timing, we made an absolute mess of it all. Getting back to our story with Abram. Even after Abram made a mess of the whole situation, God still remained faithful. At the age of 99 years old, 24 years after God had originally met with Abram and made this promise to make him into a great nation. He showed up one more time. In Genesis 17, you see that God renames Abram to Abraham. And now I can stop trying to say the right name. I've been saying, it's hard to say Abram over and over when you always think of him as Abraham. But God renames him, and that name Abraham means father of many. And he renames Sarai to Sarah. And he gives Abraham the symbol of circumcision to be the mark of this covenant between God and Abraham. And yet, having heard all these promises once more renewed, in verse 17 of chapter 17, Abraham pleads with God and he says, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Can you hear the desperation in Abraham's voice? 
how he has lost all hope. He wants God to simply bless the shortcut that he tried to take years earlier when he'd had a child with his, son, with his servant Hagar. But that's not God's plan. It never was. God concludes this in- encounter by promising that within a year, Sarah is going to have a child. And they're to name him Isaac. And that he would ultimately be the father of 12 rulers that became the 12 tribes of Israel. And that's exactly what we see take place. A 90-year-old woman gives birth to a son. And that son, Isaac, has 12 sons. And throughout the Old Testament, we see God give the land he promised to Abram and to the Israelites. Everything that God promised him ultimately became true because God is a God who keeps his promises. That's the truth that we all have to hold on to today. Abram didn't see it. For 24 years at a time where he absolutely did not expect to ever have a child, he lost all hope. But God had made a promise. God had said, you will have a child. So after a while, he thought, I'll help God out. I'll make a shortcut. I will kick in this door. Yet through it all, God remained faithful because God is a God who keeps his promises. But this is a truth that many of us wrestle with. We struggle to actually trust that God will keep his promises in our lives. So when the finances are tight... Rather than trusting that God is going to provide, you instead feel the pressure to make things happen. You feel anxious, and you feel like, I have to find the money. I have to make the money. I have to provide for my family. And you feel crushing pressure, rather than trusting that God will provide. When your schedule is hectic and you seem to have more work than you could possibly ever accomplish, Rather than trusting that God will meet your needs in six days and allow you to rest on the seventh, you instead work all seven days of the week and you feel constantly exhausted and like there's no end to your work. When you feel constant guilt and shame for maybe some massive mistake that you've made at some point in your life, rather than trusting that God has forgiven all of your sins and he's wiped away all of your shame and your guilt even your most grievous sins he has washed clean you instead keep wrestling with those feelings of guilt and shame and like you're not worthy for God and you've screwed up so bad maybe you're never even gonna see him in heaven when you hear the cancer diagnosis and are looking at six months to live Rather than trusting God will be with you through it all, and even if he doesn't heal you, that he's going to usher you into his home forever, you instead become angry with God and are terrified of death. When you feel forgotten and alone like nobody cares about you at all, rather than believing that God created you in his image, he created you with incredible value and has given you direct access to now talk to him and have relationship with him you instead sit alone wondering if anybody even cares if you didn't exist 
These are the things that people wrestle with. These are the promises that God has made to us. But we forget them. We let them go. We doubt them. We're just like Abram, and we're like, God, you say that. I see it in the Word, but I got to take care of myself. I got to meet my own needs. I got to provide. I got to work to get this stuff done. I'm not loved, not worthy. We forget these things. And as a result, it leaves us in a muddy, murky mess. You see, God's made thousands of promises to us in His Word. And our lives would be better if we remembered them and if we walked the path that they lead us and guide us on. But we struggle to remember them. So here's the question that each one of us needs to wrestle with. When life goes upside down for you, do you lose your trust in God like Abraham and instead panic? Do you try to find a shortcut rather than trusting God to provide? Do you turn to your own self-reliance? And if so, how's that working out for you? I know in my situation, it did not work out at all. And we had to wrestle with a lot of guilt and shame and mess over that whole situation. And we just wondered, God, why? Why? But here's another amazing promise God gives us is out of Romans 8.28, where he says basically he will take all of your mess, and he is an expert at spinning it together into something beautiful. And so we can, I can share this story with you today. And if you know it all, my story of the last three months, you go, wow, look at what they were trying to do in their own timing and what God had planned to do in his timing. And I think we all have those stories. Or maybe you're in the middle of those stories right now, but God is, or you're trying to punch through a door. God keeps trying to say, no, this is not what's best for you. And he keeps trying to slam it closed. So when it comes to your life, Whatever decisions you have to make or maybe difficult situations that you're currently facing, don't try to make something happen from nothing. Pray, trust, follow. There's no need to set out on your own path without God. Instead, you need to let Him guide you and provide for your needs. And so today, as we sing this last song, if you're sitting in a difficult or hopeless situation and you want prayer, I invite you to come up and we've got elders who would love to pray for you. We have to understand there is significant power in prayer. And so when you're feeling like you're just in one of those situations that you have no way out, come up front and allow the elders to pray with you and see the promise that God has that the prayers of faithful people will avail much. So would you bow your heads with me as we pray?